1: with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien.
3: Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a familiar Sanskrit word to many people today, but not everyone is aware that it refers to oneness, to unity, meaning bringing our Attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Yoga is self realization, it's knowing our true spiritual nature, and then, of course, living in. Harmony with it, and we have a wonderful conversation today about how to do that with our thoughts and our speech and our action as we explore the practice of Satya, realizing the power of thoughts, words, and deeds that are anchored in truth. Truthfulness is practiced on many levels, from understanding our viewpoints as relative truth to developing the willingness to live in harmony with universal truth. And joining us today is Judith Hansen Lassiter. Hi, good morning, Judith. Good morning, Ellen. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Judith has taught yoga since 1971 and holds a doctorate in East-West Psychology. She's president of the Yoga California Yoga Teachers Association and serves on the advisory board of Yoga Journal. Uh, Judith teaches classes and trains yoga teachers in kinesiology, yoga therapeutics, and the Yoga Sutra in San Francisco Bay Area. She also gives workshops throughout the US and has taught in several countries around the world. She's the author of several books on yoga, including Yoga for Pregnancy, A Year of Living Your Yoga. Um And Yoga Body. She is also co author of What We Say Matters, Practicing Nonviolent Communication. And you can see all of her books on her website and learn more about her work. And her website is JudithLassiter.com. And that's L A S -S A T E R.com. Before we begin our conversation this morning, we're going to just begin with a moment of centering meditation we pause for a moment as we begin this yoga hour taking this moment to recall one reality called by many names as the support, the source and substance of all that is. So as we breathe in, let's simply be aware that right where we are, right now, this divine reality is present. It's present as you, as me, as everyone, as everything. It is within us, around us, between us. Breathing out, simply let go of any distraction from being present to your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Be gently aware. You might notice the temperature of your breath as you breathe in, feeling cool air entering your nostrils, warm air flowing out. And how powerful it can be for us just to stop for a moment and breathe and become aware and become more fully present. Remembering what we really are, spiritual beings, expressing through a mind and a body. When we do this, we can touch the peace that is always within us. And as we do that now, let's agree to bring that peace with us into our day and into every interaction with everyone we meet. It's a wonderful blessing, uh, Judith, to have you with us this morning in this conversation about truthfulness. I have uh, long been a fan of your work and your writings on Yoga and in particular, um, the way in which you have been able to teach what it's like to bring these uh, practices, you know, into our daily lives in a very practical way. So with truthfulness, um, we have a wonderful opportunity in the eight limbed path to spiritual awakening found in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. The first uh, limb, uh, the Yamas offers five Virtues to be cultivated. So, after the first, the foundation, the paramount virtue of ahimsa or nonviolence, comes the second, which is satya or truthfulness. So, today we're going to explore what it means, so what it really means to practice this, how we can grapple with it, and why it's so important um, to living consciously and really joyfully. So, let's just start our conversations Judith, with what it means to be
4: truthful. That's the root of it, isn't it? So <laughs> yes. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to to be with you, um, and, and to talk about this topic because it is one that has long fascinated me. So, what it means to be truthful is a complex and variegated question. Uh, in the largest sense, to me, I believe it it has something to do with creating, allowing, experiencing being uh, the integrity between my thoughts, words, and actions and intentions Uh, I think satya is is the word sat, S-A-T and ya, Y-A and it actually means being it it implies the concept that I don't just say yes that's a red ball if it's a red ball but it implies that I'm in in integration with in harmony with that there's less dualism between who I am and what I say and do. So there is, one could say perhaps, uh, an authenticity about myself that is not just manifested through the words I might speak or you might speak, uh, but in 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 a deeper way an expression of who we are mm-hmm.
3: yeah exactly we, we we see the connection with dharma really you know what is known as um, dharmic living or living in this way of righteousness that as you as you say has this um, integrity about it that is connected to the wholeness of our being Is we're we're able to bring our thoughts and our speech and our action into harmony with that. And so, you know, one of the first things, of course, is being able to make the distinction between sattva, or what is called absolute truth, and relative truth, which is generally what comes out of our
2: mouths, right?
4: (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'd like to, before we go there, which I love that juicy statement, but I'd like to finish another idea Yes about please. your first question uh, I think that truth has something to do with um, a matching between uh who I am, really, and what I do, and that it is a growing practice of clarity about my intention so that truth to me in a large sense as we're as we're starting with a broad brush is that everything i do and say has a, embedded within it an understanding of the fact that there is harmony there in other words what I say and what I do and who I am is has an in harmony. And I not only that, but I have a harmony with the results of those actions. There's a mm-hmm. certain congruence between my actions and my understanding of truth. So mm-hmm. there's, in fact, the whole, as you so eloquently said, the whole practice of yoga is about this increasing integrity and, and unity uh, that. Already exists, mm-hmm. but is manifested, brought into manifestation by what we choose to say and do. It Absolutely. expresses, it lives, it it embodies this thought, yeah. this one yes. consciousness that is the yes. ultimate.
3: And and our our speech. Is is really that that intermediary, isn't it, between um, in between the deepest truth, our essential self, our in thoughts, beliefs, intentions, and actions? So there's the speech. Speech is such a powerful bridge, which is why it's such an important juncture for practice. And um, you mentioned intention as you were describing, you know, truthfulness, and I think that's an important word for us to be aware of as we explore what truthfulness is because you know that is beautiful, such a beautiful word you know to intend is to is to stretch toward and so moving from the unmanifest into the manifest actually begins with our intention um, which is you know, before the words come out of our mouths, and th- this—it's such an important um, element to truthfulness. Um, so, you know, learning to be aware of intention, learning to use intention uh, in harmony with truth, is such a powerful part of this practice.
4: Yes, and I, you know, intention—if we—if we look at truth, and we can look at it through many layers, from the absolute truth to the walking around every day. How am I live in my life truth uh, truth in myself, telling the truth to myself blah, blah blah but it's it's also intention is a key word because if I totally believe that the house next door is painted red, let's say the house next door is painted red, and I go away on vacation and someone wants to know what color of the house next door to me is and i say it's red but in the meantime they painted it blue while i'm gone i don't know that that's not a lie mm-hmm. because my intention is to tell the truth as i know it mm-hmm. so lying has intention in it and there's a wonderful i'm going to promote somebody else's work here it's a wonderful uh it's an, you can only get it on electronically it's uh written by the well-known writer Sam Harris, and it's called simply Lying. And it's actually not, I don't know if I'd call it a book with no disrespect to him. It's a very, very long essay. You can read it fairly quickly in one sitting, one fairly long sitting. You can read it. It's not a huge book. And he talks about that, too, and makes that very clear. And he's very interesting uh, that I think your your listeners would like to read. I enjoyed reading it. You probably mm. would, too, if you haven't. So there is a, intention is the absolute uh, litmus test in the beginning to understand what lying is about. We have to intend to mislead.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, a
3: lot of our um, uh, quote-unquote um, lack of truthfulness is comes from lack of awareness, <laughs> right? And, you know, one of the... Um, I remember starting this practice of truthfulness, you know, in... Studying yoga, and one of the first things that I discovered that was really news to me was how often I did not speak the truth, and it I, it was really shocking. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't through an intent to lie. It it was really um, basically a lack of awareness. You know, a lack of connecting to myself for one thing. You know, what am I really feeling? Um, You know, and uh, sometimes using speech in a um, just a sloppy or casual way, you know, saying things that um, I didn't really intend to follow through on. um, All those kinds of things became evident to me as I started to become aware of this practice. And uh, it made me uh, want to become a silent
4: yogi. Yes. Uh, I I am in agreement. I've had similar experience. I mean, if you just take note, we walk past the hall and work with someone, and we say, hi, how are you? And we say, fine, and we're not fine. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that kind of thing. We should get get together sometime. Let's have lunch. There's no intention of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, those kind of things. um, Those are, for want of a better word, the sort of superficial aspects of, Truthfulness, uh, but they're but they're a good place to start uh, at the beginning and notice, uh, you know, instead of saying, "How are you?" I'm fine. You could say, "How are you?" I'm better. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we <laughs> getting yes. better, mm-hmm. uh, or some way. Uh, one of the one of the questions that people sometimes ask me is, uh, as you said, the first yama uh, is not harming. If, if we're going to take up this path of yoga, then Stop harming yourself and others, that, and that's a lifetime study in and of itself. Uh, and then followed quickly by satya. and And people have asked me, "What is? How do you handle it? The contradiction or the conf, the conflict between you know telling the truth and not harming someone?" And I've asked a lot of pundits this and thought about it often. And what I've learned and come to the conclusion of is that there is no contradiction between non-harming and truthfulness and for two reasons number one when I tell what I know not to be the truth, if we're talking about sort of external truth now, truthfulness and external satya as opposed to internal in my own consciousness uh, if I say what I know not to be the truth eventually even with the intention of non-harming, eventually it harms. Yeah, exactly. Because it erodes the relationship. Mm -hmm. It erodes the trust. It erodes uh, that, and that is very harming. The second thing is there there are ways to say things that are both truthful and non-harming. So let's say my best friend comes waltzing in to show me this new dress she bought. You talked about my practical... Uh, Orientation. Here's one. Mm-hmm. She comes waltzing in. Let's say you come waltzing in and you say, Oh, look at this dress. And I, don't you just love this dress? Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I think that is the ugliest dress I have ever seen. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you're my dear friend and I don't want to hurt you and there's no reason to hurt you. I don't have to say, as a pseudo practice of Satya, Oh, that's the ugliest dress I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I could say, It's really bright. Exactly. I love the blue in the background brings out your eyes, or whatever I say. Um. So that is a way of telling the truth. And now, this is what I told, if I may, my children as they were growing up and navigating the teenage years. I, I told them that I would not query them about every second of their lives. Because they were growing up, and they had a right to privacy and decision-making. And I had raised them to make decisions, I felt, in a good way. But I looked at them, and I said, if I ever look at you and ask you a direct question, for example, were there drugs at that party? Mm -hmm. Do not lie to me. (laughs) This is so... If if you lie to me, you will be in so much more trouble and... Because of the Mother Network, I probably know the answer anyway. Exactly.
3: And this is where I found your work so powerful about how we really put this into practice. We're going to take a break right now, but when we get, when we come back, uh, Judith, I'd love you to finish that story and we'll talk more about other very practical ways to practice satya. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest today Judith Hansen Lassiter and her website is judithlassiter.com. We'll be right back with you.
1: As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now.
5: He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way-shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Rev. Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus.
6: The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll, Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents.
5: Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org.
7: Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there and we hope you join us too as we celebrate 5 years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio for more information go to www.unity.fm/cruise
1: listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with reverend ellen grace o'brien we now return to the yoga hour
3: welcome back to the yoga hour i'm ellen grace o'brien and my guest today is judith hansen lasacher uh, Judith, you have co-authored a book on nonviolent communication. What we say matters. Practicing nonviolent communication, you know, as a tool for um, practicing truthfulness. So, in this segment, we we want to talk about that. But first, I want to invite you to uh, finish the story from the first segment about how you were um, practicing truthfulness with your teenagers, and teaching them about truthfulness. So tell us more about that.
4: Well, as I was saying, I, I felt that I wanted to have a truthful relationship, an honest relationship with my children. And I wanted, but out of respect to them, I wanted them to understand that I wasn't the uh, interrogating them on everything, every small thing about their life. Um, but that on the big things that I felt was having to do with their health, well-being, and safety in the world, if I asked them a direct question about who was really driving, where were you really, were there drugs at that party, uh, did you have a beer, uh, you know, those kind of questions, that the expectation I was laying out was that they would tell me the absolute truth. And that if they did not tell me the truth, and I probably already knew the answer, and I was a little bit blowing smoke on that one, but, you know, uh, then they were going to be in twice as much trouble. And I just looked at them, and I said, do not lie to me, because I never lied to them. I said, I never lied to you. You can ask me anything, and I'll tell you the absolute truth, and I want that back. And each, for each one of them, there was a time when I asked them a direct question. And they all, three of them, to their credit and their character, told me the truth. And then we dealt with that issue uh, somewhat dispassionately, but we were over the hurdle, which I felt was the more important hurdle, which was the truth-telling. Mm-hmm. And I started that, actually, and this comes out of my yoga, my yoga practice. Uh, I've written a book called Living Your Yoga, and because I don't think yoga is about what I do upstairs in my yoga room on my mat or my meditation cushion. It's about who I am as a human being and how I act and speak uh, in the world. And so when they were little, and I'd drop them off at their morning nursery school, and they were three or whatever, so I could have time to, as you you may understand, uh, do my own practice or go to the dentist or get my hair cut or whatever. So I'd put them there in the morning, uh, teach a yoga class, in fact, and... I would get ready to leave, and they would run in and be playing with their their friends. And I would stay in the room a minute and chat with the other parents or teacher for a minute, and then I would I would leave. And I noticed that the, every other parent would just sneak out once their kid was engaged in the water table or the finger painting. And I would I wouldn't do that. I would go up to ch- my child. I would kneel down, turn them around, and say, "Get their attention." and say, okay, mommy's leaving now, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is I'm coming back right after you eat lunch, and I love you very much. And sometimes they would cry, and then I would leave. And the parents would ask me, why why do you do that? How can you stand it? I said, well, I would rather my child not believe that if they turn their back, I might disappear. And I think it's basically treating them with respect and telling them, I didn't say this out loud to them, but this is telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. So that they feel secure in the world, they know what's happening. They can trust me. And mm-hmm. that is more important than those heart-rending moments I feel mm-hmm. protecting myself mm-hmm. from seeing their tears. That that was yeah. that was the larger the larger value.
3: Yeah. And I think a lot of the times, you know, when we start looking at intention and speech, A lot of times we discover that, you know, we think we are speaking a certain way, you know, maybe in order to protect somebody else, make them feel okay. Um, And, you know, maybe sometimes that's true, but a lot of times, you know, I discovered that it had to do with... um, what I wanted to experience or what I didn't want to experience and how I was thinking, you know, quote-unquote, that I was protecting myself um, by, you know, using speech to manipulate in some way. But as you mentioned in our last segment, any time we are not truthful, it breaks the fabric of a relationship and it comes back uh, in a way that is harmful. You know, it ultimately will play out uh, in a way that that is not useful, and uh, I do want to stop for a moment and um, offer uh, an endorsement for your book, uh, "Living Your Yoga." It's really one of my favorites. I think of it as a classic. If you're, you know, new to studying yamas and niyamas, it's really um, such. Uh, delightful support. So, thank you for writing that, and um, I now have it on my Kindle. So, I know you can you can uh, you can get it you can get it that way too. So, um, tell us a little bit about how um, nonviolent communication, this uh, practice that Marshall Rosenberg um, developed, how does that how is it such a good tool for truthfulness for practicing satya?
4: That sounds like a great idea for a book. So the answer is (laughs) very long. But Satya, as all the practices of yoga, are pointed towards a greater self-awareness to understand the results of our choices and actions, but also self-awareness with a capital S of uh, pointing us toward our true nature, reminding us of our true nature. And I feel that nonviolent communication as a technique is very much in harmony with that you know buddhism talks about right speech yoga talks about satya there in this, uh, you know satya's in the yoga sutra and in the in the buddhist sutras there's you know right speech uh, but there's not a lot of or if any discussion of what that feels like what that sounds like what that looks like and that's what interested me about uh, NVC, nonviolent communication, because it is a very put-your-left-foot-here-put-your-right-foot-there level of beginning to understand how to speak the truth and be the truth and and stay connected with the other person
5: mm-hmm.
4: so that that's what makes us afraid about telling the truth. It's not the truth as much it is, as it is the fear of disconnection and conflict. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
3: yeah so and the um, and it is um, it is a technique as I understand it, very specific about um, how to use it I mean it really does give you a powerful tool, but I think um, like uh, learning a martial art
2: <laughs> there is
3: there is a period of time where it's a little bit awkward right where you're you're learning a new way of thinking about your your speech um, and and the impact of it and the deeper meaning and where you're coming from and I know mean, it's kind of like what I described for myself you know when I first started practicing such I just didn't I didn't know what to say. And um, I notice in, in your book, uh, What We Say Matters, um, that was kind of your first experience of nonviolent communication. It was just sort of being flummoxed. At how do you do this? So how did you get, you know, from flummoxed to becoming more skillful in the technique? Flummoxed is a great
4: word because it kind of sounds like what it feels like. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. So, uh, well, if you want to go swimming, you have to get wet. So it was just trial and error, and lots of error, and but but finally understanding that the cost of not doing it was greater than the cost of doing it. So I started practicing the technique. Uh, now let me let me back up for a second before I finish that story. Is the thing the reason I like this technique and uh, Marshall Rosenberg? in all fairness, would shudder to be hear, hearing it called a technique. He said, I don't want you to distill it down into the four steps. Uh, it, it's, it's different than that, and, and I'd like to discuss that mega, for a second, that mega orientation of it.
6: Mm-hmm. It
4: starts with self-awareness. It doesn't end with it. You know, what, what am I observing? What is my, what is my intention with speaking? What am I? What am I about? What What am I actually observing in myself, the situation? What am I observing? So you have to go to practice this, and I'm going to put technique in verbal uh, quotation marks. Uh, in order to do this, you need to go inside first and think. Okay, what's alive in me right now? What might be alive in the other person? What need am I meeting to speak in speaking? And how, how can I get that need met? And, and so you start by going inside. And that felt, the reason it, it felt uh, maybe easier than someone who hasn't done yoga for me was that's what I've been practicing for 41 years. Get, get on the mat, bend mm-hmm. forward, go inside. What are you feeling in your hamstrings? How's your breathing reacting to that? Uh, so it's been a habit. See, I think the practices are creating a living habit of mm-hmm. what is going on inside of me, and then from that to speak. And so, I think he's
3: he's done a masterful job with the quote unquote technique. <laughs> Um, by um, using the language of need, you know sometimes you know when we when we talk about intention, it's a little bit more subtle. It's a little harder to to find than I think. You know, what is, asking ourselves, you know, what do I what do I need? Um, what am I hoping for here, you know? And as, as we start to explore that, it's connected to our intention, right? So there's this beautiful bridge that's made with how we discover what our intention is when we, when we explore it from the perspective of, what do I need here?
4: Yes, absolutely. And Marshall makes this joke that I didn't hear as a joke when I first heard it, but later learned to understand his intention, I believe, is women have no needs, he would say. And what he meant by that was so often, especially true for women in speech, because men and women use speech differently and are socialized to use speech differently. Actually, there's a wonderful author named Deborah Tannen, T-A-N-N-E-N, who -hmm. wrote a book called Men and Women. You just don't understand men and women in conversation. And Mm -hmm. he was alluding to that idea, I think, that when he said women have no needs, meaning women are often socialized not to express their needs, to take in account all the needs of everyone around them and, and not to express what they want. And so there's a great, uh, super broad-brush uh, generalization about men and women that I still think has a kernel of truth, as all generalizations do, uh, is that women generally often don't know what they're needing. And and men don't often know what they're feeling. Women know what they're feeling. I mean, if you want to make a woman mad, you say, you tell her what she's feeling, and she'll stomp her foot and say, no, don't tell me what I'm feeling. Women Mm -hmm. often know what they're feeling but not what they're needing, and adversely, men often know what they're needing but don't know what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And this was something, a big learning I had about myself when I first started studying nonviolent communication, how I I didn't know what I needed. I knew exactly that I was irritated or happy or disappointed or whatever i was feeling but i didn't know what underlying need was either being met or not met in me at the moment
3: mm, and that's so it's so important because what comes out when we're not in touch with ourselves in a way to know what we need <laughs> you know we're, we're doing a, we're working really hard at trying to get something <laughs>
2: and we're not clear what it is
3: and i think um Even in times when we are aware of what we need, but we're afraid to be direct about it, um, that leads to speech that uh, manipulates. And, of course, that then creates the opposite of what what we're hoping for. It's really amazing how powerful speech is.
4: (laughs) You really nailed it. I mean... But I'd like to reintroduce the word manipulate in a positive way. Oh, good. Um, I believe that human beings are always, the the fact that we open our mouth to speak, we are trying to manipulate the world. And, And that is not necessarily a bad thing. What is, difficult and creates problems is when we're doing it unconsciously but everything we say is an attempt to make the world slightly different to get our needs met and so if we look at it in that positive way that whatever i say to you in our friendship is about trying to get a need met and trying to get you to hear that and understand it the baby points at the ball says ball in, in eagerly and, and wants the ball. It doesn't have the vocabulary, but we, we're trying to get our needs met by manipulating, if you will, the world. And that's all that human beings do all day long is we we take we manipulate our nervous system. We take a cold shower. We meditate. We have a glass of wine. We go for a run. We Everything just about we're doing, everything is about changing our inner states. And so the question is, Are we doing it consciously or not? And that's what yoga is. Yoga is a conscious, the entire practices of yoga, asana, self-study, pranayama, meditation, chanting. It's all about changing our inner state so that we can now, I believe, be more present, more radically present, more compassionate, and make the choices we want to make.
3: Absolutely. And all the practices that we do are really for purifying the body and mind to bring more clarity. So we can, we can see, we can perceive, we can know, uh, what we're experiencing. We can know more about, uh, who we really are. And, uh, you know, that is the, that is the crux of our of yoga practice, what do you what do you see besides this um, stellar tool of NBC? You know, what are some other ways that um, we can practice truthfulness?
4: Well, the key to me about truthfulness is first and foremost, and this is a process of nonviolent communication, is to be connected to me. And so this is what I do when I go into every yoga class, teach every yoga class, put this in practice in my life, an example of what I mean by connected to me, which sounds a little bit California woo-woo, but this is how I make it concrete. When I go to teach a class, when I walk in and I have a minute of getting settled, the first thing I do is I ask myself silently, what's going on with me right now? And it doesn't matter, Ellen, the answer. It might be, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm uh, bored, I'm hungry, I'm agitated, I'm uh, whatever it might be. The goal of that question is to be in touch with me and and who I am in that moment. Mm-hmm. The authenticity of me, what's arising in me, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. And I've done that so much now that it's very quick. Oh, I'm feeling tired. Oh, okay. There's no judgment that follows with that. But I just, if I don't know what's going on with me and where I am, I cannot really be with you. That is the
3: key to truthfulness practice. Thank you so much for that beautiful description of it. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and you're listening to The Yoga Hour with special guest Judith Hanson and Her website is judithlassiter.com L-A-S-A-T-E-R We welcome your comments and uh, questions. Look forward to hearing from you. Yoga Hour at unity.fm Coming up in our last segment, we'll talk about the promise of living truthfully. We'll be right back with you
5: are you feeling trapped by a situation you can't control don't know where to find help do you wonder if help even exists it does and it's always been there for you hidden inside the ancient new testament story of lazarus Unity Books invites you to unlock the secrets to peace and healing in The Lazarus Blueprint. New from best-selling authors Mary Alice and Richard Chafola. Marvel as they unveil six steps for overcoming seemingly impossible situations. Read about people like you who've used the steps to triumph over personal illness, financial hardship, and even the loss of a loved one. The Lazarus Blueprint offers a fresh new approach for fixing anything in your life. With steps so universal, timeless, and powerful, they can work for everyone. Make it your turning point. Get the Lazarus Blueprint today online at unitybooks.org.
2: Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard?
7: Isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy?
2: Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show. And I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today. Sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? better he's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it
7: this could get explosive does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the
2: fights (laughs) if i know dr tom he will keep it both friendly and spirited whoa i gotta hear this when and where the program is called let's talk about it and it's on every thursday at 9 a.m central time only on unity online radio so let's talk about it
7: definitely let's
1: listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with reverend ellen grace o'brien if you have a question please submit it via email at yoga at unity.fm and we will respond now back to the yoga hour welcome
3: back to the yoga hour i'm ellen grace o'brien and my guest today is judith hansen Lasseter, and we've been talking about um the the skill of nonviolent communication um, as a way of practicing satya or truthfulness, um, very practical uh, tool that we can use. And I want to refer you to her book, What We Say Matters, Practicing nonviolent communication, and um, let's let's come back around to that because we we talked about in the last segment. We talked about this key principle in uh, Satya, and really in this tool of NBC as well, is being in touch with yourself. And you describe that becoming really a habit, um, just to be able to touch in. And know what's what's going on with you at various levels uh, of your your being. Maybe you're you're checking in through all the koshas, right? It's like uh-huh. okay, you know, where am I now? Um, but there are other parts to this. So being in touch um, with yourself, with the other, and being aware of the task at hand. So tell us a little more about that, Judith.
4: Thank you. Um, well, first, when I go to teach and- this is true when I enter a meeting or if I'm going to have a, a, a fairly uh, serious conversation with someone. First I check in with me, as I said, but then I try to look at with a soft eyes, with soft eyes. I try to look at the other person, whether it's the student or the, the family member or someone I'm in disagreement with in particular. Can I look at them with soft eyes? From you know, Can I have an empathetic... Guess, if you will, about what might be going on for them because all good things will come from that because I, and this is a huge piece. I know that I, I speak my truth, but I don't speak the truth and my truth has validity, but so does the other person's perception, the other person's viewpoint that's been shaped by the, all the pathways of all the choices that have brought them to this very moment, that have shaped their personality, their being, their experience, and as have mine. And and so I have my truth, and they have their truth, and I can open my heart empathetically to the other person's truth without giving up mine. Mm-hmm.
3: That's, that's not what
4: yeah. it's about.
3: Yeah, that is so beautiful, and it really also um, helps us see how these... Um, Yamas relate to each other. We talked a little bit about um, ahimsa and satya, but I see a a conjunction here with aparagraha or non grasping or, um, you know, which for me, one of the elements is non attachment to our own views. You know, understanding that our, that, that, that just the just the way that we're made, um, we we ourselves are different viewpoints of the one reality. So we we see things differently, and being attached to our view as the view um, gets us into a lot of trouble. So non attachment to views is very helpful.
4: So I agree. This is this is the key. That it's it's a fundamental truth of the universe. You know that. No one can be, nothing can occupy the same space at the same time. I can't be sitting here with my view. I mean, you're there with yours, but it doesn't mean that we can't come to a strategy that we both want. Uh, There are many strategies for getting our needs met, and if I cling to what I want at the cost of everything, I'm going to lose. It doesn't mean that I'm not strong, that I don't have values, very strong and clearly articulated values, but if i believe that i can make you be different i'm lost so when i look at you with soft eyes i could say i really i really hear ellen that you're upset about the fact that i didn't do the dishes when i said i would and i can imagine that you're disappointed and irritated because to you it's kind of it's a sense of respect that you walk into the kitchen and it's clean, like I said I was going to do, and I can understand that. <clears throat> and then when you hear that, you're going to soften toward me because I see you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't say, well, you know, I was, I'm a firefighter and I was putting out a fire and saving someone's life, and that's why I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't try to tell you that you should be different. I first start my communication by letting you know that I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I see you with soft eyes.
3: Mm-hmm. And that you're, you know, one of the beautiful things about this in uh, that yoga gives us, I think, is the ability to occupy a larger space of awareness. So, you know, to have the ability to have our viewpoint and see the viewpoint of another—that is profound. And it well, takes uh, it a is. certain, it takes a certain expansiveness of our consciousness to be able to do that.
4: In fact, I think it's one of the mar- marks or. Uh, Road signs that our practice is actually seeping into our bones, Mm -hmm. that we automatically, spontaneously are able to see it from the other viewpoint. That doesn't mean we agree at all, but we see it, we understand it. We we still like our viewpoint because we have a personality and an ego, and God gave us ego and personality, but not to cling to it exactly as you said. And when, one, when you do that, it's not even so much the words you say. It's, it's the body position, the expression, the contours of your voice, the rhythm of your speech. Everything will, will express that you see it from the other point of view. And mm-hmm. not just intellectually, mm-hmm. but emotionally you get it. Mm-hmm. And that softens the entire... Moment, it is a sign that ability of our of our progress. The other sign of our progress, I think, is not whether we can touch our toes, but that we spontaneously feel compassion mm-hmm. for everyone, when when it whatever happens in the world, even someone who's done something horrible, which we think they should be in jail forever, uh, we still have compassion for the suffering that they're in, and it's not wimpy. This is not wimpy. This is fierce fierce compassion
3: and actually as you were just speaking that is exactly what the ro- the word that i wrote down was uh, compassion and getting this big arc back to ahimsa because compassion is the fulfillment of ahimsa and this is one of the ways that we can see ahimsa and satya working together that in their fulfillment comes love, comes compassion. That is so powerful. And uh, that's a beautiful place for us to come to, to conclude our conversation this morning. So uh, one, one or two sentences, uh, Judith, from you, about the vision of a world uh, that's awakened to living in truth.
4: Uh, I believe that we are living in truth because truth is all there is. The The question is not, how can the world be different? The question that we ask as yogis and yoginis and human beings is, how can I become more radically myself? Which mm-hmm. is that truth. It, mm-hmm. is a, it is a process not of being different. It is a process of unveiling and becoming that which we already are and remembering, finding, let me say it this way, finding that which was never lost.
0: Mm,
3: beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to share this Yoga Hour with you, uh, Judith, and I want to remind uh, listeners again that they can find out more about your books and your uh, uh, classes at Judith Lassiter, dot com. And I want to invite you to uh, join us again next week for a program on Enough is Enough, How to Unclutter Your Life and Find Time for What Really Matters. And we'll be joined by special guest Andrew Mellon. For information about upcoming programs at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit our website, csecenter.org. We have a retreat coming up. Um, based on the teachings of St. Francis, the yoga of St. Francis. So we invite you to that. Go to the website, find out about it. And remember to uh, share the yoga hour with your friends by liking us on Facebook. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world and to share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Thank you again, Judith.
4: You're welcome. Thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation.
3: Thanks. Bye bye.
1: Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM
7: Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, and her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan, show you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week, they'll entertain you with the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth.
2: Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit. I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening.
7: Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed you don't know where to turn.